Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Welcome to episode number 22 of the show. Simon Head and Chamakar Sandu back in the chair once again as we put a bow on 2016 and look ahead to the first UFC event of 2017. Show number two of the year, Sandu. We obviously look back at Ronda Rousey uh, being uh, pretty much dismantled by Amanda Nunes at UFC 207, but... It's all about the new year now, mate, and uh, looking looking forward to what's to come. Yeah, and and it's, I think it's going to be a very interesting year this year, Simon. I think um, last year was definitely a, a banner year for all, all sorts of reasons. I think um, the coverage of the sport went to new heights. Uh, it, it broke through uh, to new level of the mainstream. There was just so many massive blockbuster stories, blockbuster events, so many key moments uh revenue wise it was the biggest year the ufc um, you know ever had um it'll be very difficult to to do something like that back to back um but that's the challenge the new owners have now um going into uh their first full calendar year um owning uh, this promotion so it's going to be a very fascinating year to see how things unfold um so yeah so looking forward to it now before we kind of crack on with the show simon uh, I think followers of yourself on social media, uh, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, probably by now uh, would have uh, been made aware of the news um, that you have uh, departed from the sun. And we've spoken about this a little bit offline. Uh, so we, before we kind of get into the show, um, I thought and we both thought it'd be good uh, to let our very valuable and loyal listeners of the Brit Pack uh, just give you uh, the platform to, I suppose, um, I suppose first of all, explain uh, what's happened, where you currently stand, um, and I suppose maybe even reflect on uh, your time uh, with the Sun um, over the last couple of years, just to kind of, I suppose, give our listeners a little bit of insight um, into what essentially is a very volatile world uh, that we live in. Um, it's it's one thing being you know a member of the media um, you know in, in in the sports world, but when you're dealing with a very very you know a niche sport like MMA, uh, it can be very very volatile. Um, so, with that being said, I'll I'll throw it to you, Simon. Um, let our listeners know um, what happened with you and the Sun. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's first it's been incredibly disappointing. I've got to be honest with you. It's. Uh, it's 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 uh, an occupational hazard when you work in the media. There, it's pretty cutthroat, and uh, I've experienced I've experienced it in in other jobs as well, where you turn up to work one day and find out that the company's been has been shut down, or you know I was working for a new business startup at the time, or you know you see people sort of unceremoniously binned off when they've done a they've done a good job and and. Uh, cutbacks kick in and all all these things happen it's all part of the it's all part of the uh it's all part of the job if you like um you know if we wanted job security we'd go off and work at the local council and we'd get a little pay rise every year and we'd be working nine to five and it'd all be it'd all be nice and static but it'd be arse achingly boring and uh i've you know i did that for about a year very very early on in my career and knew pretty much straight away that I had to get out of doing that and uh, really, really focus on what I really wanted to do, which was get into the media. And uh, 18 years on, um, it's been it's been pretty good to me. I've got to be honest, I've been through various different gigs. This one, I've got to say, I've been, I was at the Sun for 20 months. And actually, I'm, we're, we're talking on Tuesday. 
for those listening. Uh, we're talking on the Tuesday. We're recording a day late this week. Um, I'm actually technically still employed at this point. Um, if you're listening beyond Friday, then I won't be. So <laughs> Friday the 13th is actually the day that I'm being made redundant. And you've got to love the irony of that. I don't know whether someone in the HR department was having some sort of sick joke at my expense. I'm sure they weren't. They've been very lovely to deal with in all, in all seriousness. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. Basically, what what I was told was um, they were unable to find a sponsor uh, for my newspaper column. I've got a, I had a column in the in the Sun every Monday. The Sun. For those of you outside the UK. Uh, it's one of the country's most read newspapers, the most read tabloid newspaper. Um, and uh, I, I had the opportunity to become, as far as I'm aware, the only full-time uh, MMA-only reporter in the UK national press. Um, so I had to throw all my chips in and, and go all in on this. Uh, there's no safety net, no side gig or anything like that. It was all all in. Uh, and I've been doing it for 20 months, and it's been the best 20 months of my career. thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Sean Custis, the head of sport, and Martin Lipton, the deputy head of sport, um, they sat me down from day one and said, "This is this is this is all yours, mate. You just run with it. You tell us what we should be covering and what we shouldn't be covering." Um, and uh, they've they've never said no. You know, it's been fantastic. Best best example of that I can give you is when Michael Bisbing fought and won the middleweight the uh, the middleweight title from from Luke Rockhold. I wasn't due to go to that event in, in LA. It was going to be Wyburn versus Rockhold, which would have been a great event. I was looking forward to it. I quite fancied seeing if I could go. But with UFC 200 and that big triple header uh, during fight week um, around the corner, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to put that at risk. But then when Bisbing, or when uh, Wyburn got injured, it was pretty obvious Bisbing was going to get a call up. I made the phone call to the office. They didn't hesitate. They said, go. Um, so I went, and I think I was the only British... Uh, member of the mainstream press there uh, to watch Britain's first world champion crown. Incredibly proud moment for me um, and uh, being able to to chat with Bisbing backstage immediately after the, the press conference was a bit of a, a bit of a, a magic moment as well. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. They couldn't find a sponsor for my for my newspaper column, which is incredibly frustrating. And I think they're probably making cutbacks anyway. And uh, I was I was I was in the danger zone. And uh, they've they've made the decision. Obviously, I don't agree with it, but you know this is life. We move on. And uh, so, what I'm going to do now um, is see see what other opportunities are out there for me. When I put the message out there on social media, the amount of messages, phone calls, texts, uh, social media messages, and all the rest of it that I got was 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 incredible. Um, absolutely blew me away. And now, what I need to do now is piece together a few a few jobs here and there to uh, to try and make up the shortfall from from losing this gig because this this was my only gig so uh, we're seeing seeing what's out there at the moment uh, I've had a few people reach out to me as well which has been most welcome and uh, yeah we'll see where we go from here mate it's uh, a little bit of a turbulent time I knew this was coming from before Christmas it made Christmas a little less a little less uh, jovial than it normally is and um, then uh, it was all confirmed literally just before Christmas that this was going to happen and uh, and now now it's just about to happen so Friday Friday the 13th of all days um, I'm not I'm not unemployed I'm a free agent this is what I'm doing or as Misha Tate would say I'm transitioning 
that's what I'm doing at this point. I'm transitioning. So, so uh, we'll see how it all goes. And uh, and fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'll I'll be uh, I'll be I'll be press row at an event very soon. That's the plan, at least. Well, you know, you know, we I've known about this because um, we obviously we talk all the time. Um, so I, you know, knew that this was coming around the corner. And uh, just from my own perspective, I think this is a sh- it's a shame because I th- at the time when the U- when the Sun hired you, I thought it was great um, because we've spoken about this many times offline, Simon. If there's opportunities for British uh, journalists uh, to work full time covering the sport for any outlet. All that means is that could potentially open the doors um, for others to be able to do the same for um, other competitive outlets. So from my perspective, I thought, well, here's an opportunity where the sun's getting really committed behind the UFC. And and eventually it was not just the UFC. It was MMA. It was the sport. They've got a top guy in yourself who's got tons of experience at the forefront um, leading the way. So I thought, great. Well, you know, hopefully now. Um, some of the com- the competitive papers, um, instead of using a bunch of freelancers um, or just calling uh, boxing guys to come over and you know, jump on a few big R- Rousey fights or McGregor fights, hey, maybe they'll kind of uh, you know get behind this sport and get you know uh, journalists to to cover the sport full time. Um, so it's it's really unfortunate, and I guess it shows where the Sun's commitment lies um, uh, in MMA in covering the sport if they're going to take. Uh, a full-time guy off the beat. Um, so, you know, I've already seen some of the other guys. I don't know them personally. I'm sure they're great people. Um, but when you're, you know, constantly churning out uh, Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor uh, clickbaity type of stories, um, that's not going to do great for you in the long term, especially um, within our, you know, hardcore MMA community, which is which is the MMA community, especially in the UK. I mean, these are the people that are spending. Uh, most Saturday nights staying up until four, five, six in the morning. So it doesn't get any more hardcore than that. So, but I don't want to kind of leave it on a, on a sour or down note. What I want to do is just ask a couple of questions, Si. And I guess the, I guess the first one is during your tenure there, you know, you had the opportunity, like you said, you were the only guy that was really full time covering the sport. You weren't covering boxing or um, the Olympics, or darts, or tennis, or cricket, or rugby, or any other sport. It was MMA every day, 24-7. So I guess what I'd like, and I suppose maybe our listeners would like to know, is what were some of your highlights, uh, and what was, I suppose, the key moment during your time there? I think I know what you're going to say anyway, um, but you know, you, you, you tell me, you tell our listeners, uh, what was the, the, the biggest highlight uh, of your time covering the sport for the Sun? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think there's been there's been so many amazing experiences. I, prior to getting this job, I was like the world's least travelled man. I barely left my house, let alone you know let let alone leave the country. Like my passport had barely been opened, and uh, so the opportunity to to just go to the states uh, for any reason was 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 great. I've always wanted to go. Um, and uh, that first trip to Vegas, which was UFC 189 International Fight Week, um, was, was was nuts. That was great fun. All the trips have been have been an incredible experience. I think seeing Bisbing win the world title in in uh, in Englewood was 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 pretty special as a Brit. I think that that takes mm-hmm. some beating. Being at Madison Square Garden. Um, just to say, we were in Madison Square Garden watching the first ever UFC event at Madison Square Garden. That was special. 
Um, it's, it's there's so many. Um, losing my bag in Glasgow that was a magic moment. <laughs> I've just um, been happy that I've been I've been with you for so many of these great moments. Like. It's it's been it's been it's 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 great, and uh, you know I suspect that whatever the, you know whatever I end up doing next, I suspect the transatlantic travel will probably uh, diminish significantly. Uh, but you know I've got a young I've got a young family at home. I've got a five year old daughter and uh, and and my wife Anna, and we and, and we're expecting another one in uh, in June. So. That's that's not necessarily a terrible thing that I'm going to be a bit closer to home a bit more often. So, so that's probably a good thing and probably for the best. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the overall highlight is. I mean, I've had so many. To be honest, the thing I enjoy, other than being able to just be there and cover the sport and try and try and do a decent enough job of it, um, it's actually the camaraderie among all the guys. You know, when mm. when you go away, and sometimes sometimes you know the. Uh, the main the main enjoyment you get from your job sometimes you get it from the job and sometimes you get it from the people and i've been really fortunate because i've i've been doing basically my dream job for the last 20 months but i've also been blessed to be able to to meet a load of incredible people who have become good friends of mine over the years and um and uh, i think that to me is probably that's probably the biggest takeaway from 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 the whole thing to be honest because um you know stuff like stuff like that i think i think matters and uh, building relationships with people i think counts so so uh, i would say that that would be a big highlight purely from a sporting point of view I, i'd have to say bisbing i think just to just to look around press row and look at everybody's face when michael bisbing knocked out luke rockhold was quite something um that whole night was absolutely nuts um but but for that to happen was uh, I'd say that was probably top of the tree. The first event I ever covered was UFC 120, and that was Michael Bisping against Yoshihiro Akiyama. Um, so he was one of my first uh, in-person interviews with a UFC fighter, and um, and uh, we know each other pretty well now. And uh, you know, Mike was even kind enough to leave a little message on my Facebook page uh, about about the recent news. So so you know, that was a nice touch from him as well. But yeah, seeing a Brit win a world title was something pretty special. I'd probably put that number one. It's interesting, uh, 120 being your first uh, gig to uh, to cover the sport. I was just a fan. I was in the crowd, Simon. And, and here we are. This wonderful sport has brought us together uh, with the Brit Pack. And on that note, uh, any listeners worried? Uh, we ha- I think there was one or two people that may have kind of dropped a, a tweet here and there asking if this would be the end, the demise, uh, the, the, the book being closed on the illustrious Brit Pack podcast. Absolutely not. Um, me and Simon, um, we uh, we do this. Um, we don't get paid for it. We do it uh, for the love of the sport. Uh, we we do it just to kind of get our opinions out there uh, in a different format, other than writing words, um, you know, uh, down uh, on a, on, a, on a piece of paper or something. And um, and it's completely independent. You know, this is something that we can do uh, very very easily. It's just me and me and Simon talking shop for an hour or two. Um, so this isn't going anywhere. We're still going to be churning out this show for you guys um, on a weekly basis, uh, regardless of our employment status, uh, until I suppose we can't afford to pay the, pay the Wi-Fi bill. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, I guess uh, I'll throw it back to you, Simon, to to end this segment with whatever it is uh, you want to kind of get off your chest or, or say, and then we can crack on with the show. Yeah, I just want I just want to very quick because this all feels a little bit. A little bit weird, even talking about it. But I just want to say, um, I've, I'm, I'm 
very, very grateful for the opportunity I had. I've got no ill will towards the people that I was working with. Quite the opposite, in fact. Uh, the guys on the paper have been outstanding to deal with. And, uh, you know, I wish them all the best. And, uh, yeah, I've got nothing nothing but good things to say about the people I was working with. I know a lot of people uh, were tweeting uh, less than complimentary things with regard to a few things. but uh, And I understand, I understand where some of that's coming from. But uh, from a personal point of view, no problem whatsoever um in terms of uh you know all the editorial guys I dealt with so just just wanted wanted to say that and a big thank you to everybody who did reach out with a message and uh yeah I'm not I'm as Michael Bisbing would say I'm not going anywhere I'm not going anywhere I just don't know what I'm going to do yet we'll work it out we'll work it out but one thing I will be doing is the Brit pack and uh what better way than to just kick on with this one number 22 now we had the uh we had a bit of a review show last week because we had Ronda Rousey um, losing in dramatic fashion to Amanda Nunes. We haven't had anything since. So it seems to be the time of year when everyone starts pontificating and, and offering up their end of year awards. And uh, so I don't see why we really should be any different. You know, we should at least acknowledge some of the best stuff from the year. We're not going to go into it in too much detail, I don't think, just because you've probably heard it done to death elsewhere. But We've got our own take on a few of these, a few of these awards, and we thought we'd share a bit of that with you. And then a bit later on in the show, we'll look, we'll look ahead to the, the first UFC event of 2017: Yair Rodriguez versus BJ Penn. So uh, we'll do that. Sandy, you, you, you've knocked up a few categories, mate. So you might as well lead off. Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to do uh, 20 categories. You know, we're going to keep this uh, short and sweet. Um, we've got five or six categories uh, that we wanted to kind of uh, address. And we're going to kick things off, Simon, with the male fighter of the year. Um, for me, you know, we've dropped his name a few times. You certainly have uh, in your experience of, of capturing uh, the middleweight championship. For me, it was Michael Bisping. It was uh, finally, you know, he, he wasn't the, the bridesmaid, but not the bride anymore. He finally got to walk down the aisle, uh, so to speak. Um, he got his moment in London against Anderson Silva. A fantastic comeback fight, which in its own right is a potential fight fight of the year candidate. Uh, he then went on in dramatic fashion on very short notice um, to capture the middleweight championship from uh, Luke Rockhold, um, one of the best in the world, um, You know, especially given his age bracket where he comes from. And then finally, to top things off, he, uh, he brought a UFC pay-per-view uh, back to the UK after a very long time, and he got to uh, do that in his backyard in Manchester. Uh, get rid of the demons of the the H bomb landed by Dan Henderson uh, back at UFC 100 uh, with UFC uh, 203, uh, which we were both uh, present for in a, in a sold out um, Manchester arena. So, so for me, at 37 years of age, just given how close he was for so many years. Uh, never quite managed to get over the hill. He finally did it this year, and he did it the hard way. Uh, nothing was given on a plate uh, at all. Um, it was definitely his banner year, uh, and um, you know, I'm sure after you kind of give your um, verdict for male fighter of the year, we'll throw in an honourable mention or two because it was one of those years. It was very, very difficult uh, to pick. A fighter of the year especially uh, for, for me being a brit i don't want to be biased and just give it to michael bisping because he is a fellow brit uh, but i did it based purely uh, on meritocracy and the journey that he's been on 
Um, and I think it's just a fantastic, it has been a fantastic story just to never give up in life. I think, um, it was just a fantastic story to see a guy at 37 who many thought was never even good enough to win a championship, let alone do it at this stage of his uh, career. Uh, I just think spoke very, very highly of, uh, the, what work and, uh, uh, effort he, uh, he put in. Um, and, and now look at him, you know, he's the darling of the UFC. He's doing movies. Um, I think tonight was actually uh, the Triple X um, movie premiere here um, at the O2 um, Arena in London. And I know um, looking at social media, Michael was doing his bits and pieces on the red carpet. So it's so good for him. He's now um, you know, taking the advantage of being a champion, maximizing and capitalizing on those opportunities outside of the octagon. So there you go, male fighter of the year for me, Michael Bisping. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard to uh, to sort of quantify exactly what what criteria you're going to use to to award a male fighter of the year. Is it to the person who's won the most fights? Is it to the person who's won his fights most decisively or in a dom- most dominant fashion? Is it someone who's taken the longest journey or the biggest biggest step? Um, in terms of progression over the course of the year. And there's loads of different ways you can do it. I've gone for Michael Bisbing as well. And the reason I've gone for Michael Bisbing as well, there are other fighters who have won more fights in 2016 than Michael Bisbing. There are other fighters who have also won uh, world championships and won more fights in a year than Michael Bisbing. The thing for me is the fact that no one gave the guy a prayer. Um... No one gave him much of a prayer against Anderson Silva. Most people were thinking Anderson Silva would beat him. Um, he beat Anderson Silva, um, and he beat him the hard way. You know, he—that he, uh, was a fight that he'd wanted for a long, long, long time. When Anderson Silva was a world champion, Bisping had three separate number one contender fights, lost each and every one of them, and uh, I think. At least two of those fights had asterisks against them as a result of uh, either performance enhancers or um, TRT use. So there were issues there that maybe his chance had been and gone and he kept coming back and he kept coming back and he just kept getting knocked down again. Then he had the horrific eye injury that that, that knocked him out of his dream event in Manchester Um, and that, that set him back even further and then he came back and got beat by Tim Kennedy. At that point, everyone said he's done, he's finished. And um, it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those where the journey that he's taken and the fact that he he defied all the odds he beat Anderson Silva and everyone thought great he can retire on that he got that he got the fight that he's been chasing all his life and he won and he did it at home now he can hang up his gloves and be happy then he got that last that last gas call up to face Luke Rockhold and I, I think you do well to find a single person. Um, in uh, in Los Angeles that week, who genuinely thought Michael Bisbing was going to win that fight, um, you everyone was pretty much nailed on that Luke Rockhold was going to win. And I wrote a piece on on the eve of the fight. I'll be honest, I thought Luke Rockhold was going to win, but I had this funny feeling, and I wrote about it. And I said, "There's just this weird feeling in the air that something special might happen here. Just everything about fight week." The way he'd gone about things, he didn't seem to have the pressure on him that he usually put on himself. He was relaxed. He was joking with people. Um, it felt like a different Michael Bisbing. And he went in there, relaxed as you like, straight off a movie set and knocked out Luke Rockhold. Um, amazing. Then he gets the Dan Henderson fight. And I know a lot of people out there will 
and did question the choice of Dan Henderson. That wasn't his pick. That was the UFC's pick. Um, they obviously wanted to do that fight for because it was a sellable fight for Bisbing in the UK. It generate more interest than fighting someone like Jacare, for example. Um, and to get decked by the by by that big H bomb twice in Manchester and then come back and win that was astonishing. So he he's my fighter of the year. He's my fighter of the year. Um, I think he deserved to be nominated for the BBC Sports Personality of the Year for our British listeners. You'll know what that is. Uh, for the overseas listeners, it's a bit like the ESPYs, but less glamorous. Um, it's uh, In the UK, we have uh, the BBC, which is the state broadcaster here in the UK, the big state broadcaster, and uh, they do a big end-of-year celebration gala thing where they honour the best of British sport. They do. It's done by a panel. And I don't think a single person on that panel could name a mixed martial arts fighter. So Bisbing had pretty much no chance at that point. Um, and it's a shame because you know, his, his achievements this year stacked up with pretty much everybody on that BBC Sports Personality of the Year list. Um, and uh, I think he deserved a little more credit than he got. Um, so he's my fighter of the year. But it was by no means a, clo- uh, a clear thing because there were some outstanding other candidates as well, and one in particular. Well, I'll let you lead off with your honourable mention, Simon, as you, that was a nice little segue before I go into mine. Who was your honourable mention for 2016? Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt has had one hell of a year. Unranked, four fights, four wins, world title. Um, it doesn't get much better for Cody, and I think a star has been born in the UFC, um, I think we're going to hear and see a lot from Cody Garbrandt in 2017 and beyond. I think the uh, the star makers uh, who are WMEIMG are going to do well. I think I think they've got a, a ready package star there. They just need to guide him in the right direction, uh, put him in front of the right opportunities, and I think he could really become a poster boy for the sport in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, he had a fantastic year. And uh, to go in there and beat Dominic Cruz, not just to beat Dominic Cruz, but to beat him in the way he did it, really just just leaps out as as a, just an outstanding, outstanding achievement. Even if you just take that fight in its isolation, that was an outstanding achievement. Um, and uh, the journey he's taking, as I say, from unranked to world champion in the space of four fights in one calendar year, um, and I know other other outlets and other podcasts and all the rest of it. Some people were naming Cody Garbrandt as fighter of the year. Got no no uh, argument with that. I think that he's he's as worthy. Um, to be honest, it's but he's worthy for different reasons. Um, and I've just gone with Michael Bisbing uh, for the reasons I explained earlier. But it all depends on your criteria. Cody Garbrandt is uh, one of the one of the fighters of the year. And uh, he's following his story in 2017. I think he's going to make for absolutely fascinating viewing. It's going to be really interesting. In one of the most exciting divisions in the UFC right now, that bantamweight division looks looks absolutely fantastic, packed with talent, and uh, he's leading the way. It's uh, so. So yeah, he's my honourable mention, Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, and I think going into the criteria is a very good point, Simon, because if those of you out there uh, listening has you know have Conor McGregor as your fight, fighter of the year. I've got no problem with that. If you've got Steve Miocic as your fighter of the year, I've got no problem with that. If you've got Cody Garbrandt as your fighter of the year, I've got no problem with that. And Cody is actually also my honourable mention. 
um, for all the reasons uh, that you mentioned there, Simon. Uh, fascinating story, like you said, uh, to go from unranked to champion, four wins, three knockouts in the first round, and then to, to put on uh, what was essentially a masterclass on Dominic Cruz, and to do that with the, with the arrogance and uh, the, the panache and uh, some of the charisma, uh, push-ups and breakdancing and all sorts um, in the actual fight itself was just mind-blowing. Um, so looking forward to seeing him continue that. And, and I think now he's proven that, you know, I, I genuinely didn't see that coming. And I think we spoke about that in last week's show. I literally thought of him as a power puncher, a first round uh, type of fighter. Uh, but now knowing that he's got that in his locker, I think he's unbeatable. I think he could potentially, he's got everything going for him. And as long as he can handle um, everything that comes along with being a champion and, and the fame and the, and, and the fortune and all those bits and pieces, he, he's got all the tools to potentially dominate this division for years to come. And he's only 25, so he, sh- he should only improve from here on end. Um, so with that being said, let's move on to the female fighter of the year. And uh, I'll let you go first this time, Simon, on this one. Who is your female fighter of the year 2016? Female fighter of the year is Amanda Nunes. It. I had I had two names down, but Amanda Nunes gets it. If you look at you look at the three wins that she's had in 2016. First off, she beat Valentina Shevchenko, who is now one fight away from a shot at the title. So we may well see that fight run back uh, very soon. Um, she beat her by by unanimous decision back at UFC 196 in Vegas. She then got a shot at Misha Tate and the World Championship. And uh, let's not forget, that was the main event of UFC 200. We had all the uh, furore that happened when John Jones failed his, uh, failed his USADA drug test, was pulled from the main event. It was then going to be Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. That lasted for one day, and then they realized we should really put a World Championship fight at the top of that card. So they then made the switch again. Uh, third main event in a space of two and a half days. They then made Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes the main event. Um, and uh, she put on an absolutely superb performance. Um, defeated Misha Tate, busted her up badly, then took her to the mat, locked up the rear naked choke and got the win. And then she followed it up with uh, an even more decisive win against Ronda Rousey. Um, just a matter of weeks ago, December 30th, uh, last the last UFC fight of 2016. And that, for me, capped her as the, uh, the female fighter of the year. Great performance. Um, and uh, we're starting to see a bit of the personality come out from her as well, which I think is great. And, uh, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of upside with Amanda Nunes. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to stop sh- short of saying that she's an absolute superstar at this point, because I don't think she is. But I think if she can continue to uh, to turn in performances like that, then uh, I can see her becoming certainly one of the most one of the most talked about female fighters in in, uh, in 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 recent memory. I think I'd love to see her fight Holly Holm. I think that would be a I think that would be a fascinating contest. And if Holly wins that featherweight belt, we could have a champion versus champion matchup later in the year. Uh, maybe even during International Fight Week. Who knows? That that would be quite something. Um, but uh, yeah, Amanda Nunes for me gets the vote for female fighter of the year. Yeah, me too. Uh, we're two for two so far, Simon. Um, Amanda Nunes for all the reasons you mentioned, and it's been great exposure for her to uh, to fight in the main event of UFC 200. That did a million plus pay per view buys. That was a blockbuster event, and then to fight 
uh, and defend her championship for the first time, you know, against the biggest star in the well, one of the biggest stars in the sport for sure, especially uh, on the women's side of, of things. In Ronda Rousey, again, reports coming out that also did uh, a million plus buys. That wouldn't have hurt her at all. She's had a lot of eyeballs on her this year. She's put in the performances. Uh, she won the championship, and she's been dominant in in everything that she's done. And like you said, Simon, uh, we've started to see her personality come through now. Everything that she did, I think, throughout fight week at uh, UFC 207 um, was just A-plus from her. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how things progress with her uh, in 2017. Um, and with that being said, uh, my honourable mention uh, goes to a European, and that's to Joanna Jacek. Um I thought she had uh, still one of my personal favourite fights of 2016, uh, her defense against Claudia Gadella was just phenomenal. Uh, coming, you know, from you know, arguably the first and maybe even second round, where it was very, very tough early on, to come back and to and to keep the faith in the in the long term game plan of a 25 minute fight, and then to really put it on Cla- Claudia in rounds three, four, and five. Uh, I, I I loved everything about that fight. It was just phenomenal. Um, and then obviously she she wanted to fight on that UFC 205 card in Madison Square Garden, uh, she got her wish, and it was against a, a fellow Pole in, uh, in Karolina Kawakiewicz. Um, so for me, honourable mention is uh, is Joanna Jacek. Who is your honourable mention, my friend? Well, at the risk of being boring, I'll, I'm going to say that as well. But we, seeing as you've so eloquently described uh, why Joanna had such a fantastic year, I will chuck a different name into the mix just to change things up a bit. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Raquel Pennington, um, she had a superb 2016. Uh, she picked up a split decision win over Betch Cahaya, um at UFC on Fox in Tampa in April. She had followed up with a win over Elizabeth Phillips at UFC 202. And then she picked up the biggest win of her career, uh, defeating Misha Tate at Madison Square Garden, no less, at UFC 205. Um, she's, she's always brought exciting action to the Octagon, um, has an exciting fighting style, and uh, is starting to move into contention status now she's gradually moving up and I think 2016 was a really big year uh, if you were listing maybe an unsung hero of the women's division I would probably chuck her name in there Joanna I think for her two her two uh, barn burner fights against against uh, Claudia Gadella and Carolina Kowalk which uh, deserves to be the honourable mention and uh, but yeah seeing as you had already gone over that ground. I'll chuck Raquel Pennington's name into the mix as well. I think she's had she's had a fantastic year. Good shout. Uh, and with that being said, let's move on now to the 2016 Britpack Fight of the Year. Now, I actually was in two very interesting uh, places for what I think are arguably 1A and 1B when it comes to Fight of the Year. Uh, it was a toss-up, and I really had to think hard about this one. It was either going to be Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit at UFC 195, uh, for which I was actually in uh, Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan, uh, on, a, on a family holiday. Uh, and it was kind of weird because I actually had to pay $60 to actually purchase the pay-per-view, uh, which I don't normally have to do, obviously, being here in the UK, watching it on BT Sport. Um, and then for the the second uh, you know, nomination in my head in terms of who I would give the, the nod to, uh, I was in uh, the Grosvenor Casino, our, our wonderful friends in the Grosvenor Casino, uh, with my pal Simon for UFC 206, uh, watching uh, the war 
that was Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi. I eventually ended up going with Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi. Um, and I, I've got no problem if anybody out there chooses Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit. I don't know what... I, I, I think with Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit, because they are so elite, they are championship-level fighters, a tight contest like that, is, you almost expect it. You don't ex- really expect one fighter to dominate the other one in a, such a one-sided affair. Whereas I think with Cub Swanson and Duho Choi, you had two very you know, different stories coming into the fight. With the Korean Superboy, you had this fantastic prospect that everyone's you know, really glowing about and just raving about his potential. His, the ceiling on him is so high. And then perhaps I think with Cub Swanson, uh, I think a lot of people were perhaps writing him off. You know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, he's just being you know, fed to the lions here with this younger um, phenom. In, in in Duho Choi, and then uh, as things played out, it was I mean, if anybody uh, if you were a fly on the wall in the groves of a casino, all you would have uh, all you would have heard from but I think both from my, myself and Simon, but maybe a little bit more from me, no, was oohs and yeah oohs and ahs and f bombs and omgs and wtfs um, at the big screen in there. Uh, for a, and for a 15-minute fight, you know, it felt like it was longer. It, we, we just couldn't believe what we were witnessing. Um, and, and, and again, it may be that, uh, that participation in watching that fight unfold with you, Simon, just having you there with me, uh, being able to kind of talk about it as things were going on. We kept looking at each other like, are we actually witnessing what we're witnessing? Um, uh, and, and maybe it's just a little bit more fresh in my memory, the fact that it only took place literally about a month ago now. Uh, but for me, 2016 uh, fight of the year is Cub Swanson, Duho Choi at UFC 206. Over to you, Simon. Good shout, and I'm delighted you picked that one because it means that we're, we're at least going to disagree on one of these awards because I've gone with Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit at UFC 195. Great title fights are... They're, they're, there's something special about a big title fight, and sometimes when you're watching watching these guys go at it in the octagon... It becomes it becomes almost bigger than sport. It becomes it's just like a study of the human condition. Just watching, it's like the immovable object versus the irresistible force, and that's what we had with Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit. They threw everything they had at each other, and the image that will always stay with me is the image right at the end of the fight where both fighters, completely spent were lent side by side up against the octagon fence with their arms sort of draped over the top of the uh, over the top of the octagon fence there and i think the referee big john mccarthy came over and sort of patted them both on the back as if to say good job lads that was that was a bit special and uh, that fight was incredible and i remember at the time um almost to a man everybody was watching watching that event um in the media were like well that's fight of the year wrapped up <laughs> nothing's going to beat that and we had we had some absolute crackers this year we really were sport rotten with some of the great fights we've had this year um but for me just for the scale of the fight that the fact that i've not seen two men push each other um that hard for that long you know, over a five-round fight, the intensity level just never dropped. Robbie Lawler was in the fight of 2015 as well. Don't forget, he, he and uh, Rory McDonald at UFC 189, in, in that was very, very similar in that regard. But in the end, Lawler began to break 
McDonald down and eventually stopped him. This one was just... It was so close to call. Lawler won it. I scored it for Condit, and I know a lot of other people uh, agreed, and they scored it for Condit as well, but it was such a close fight, and it seems... It seems almost negligent that that fight wasn't remade. It was it was one of the great... Not just one of the best fights of the year. It's one of the greatest fights I think I've ever seen in the octagon. It was that good. Um, and that's my fight of the year. UFC 195, Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit. And I guess with honourable mentions, we can just do swapsy, Simon, because my honourable mention uh, would naturally be Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit at UFC 195. I don't want to hazard a guess at what yours is going to be, but Simon, go for it. The floor is yours. What is your honourable mention for fight of the year? I've got three. I'm cheating. I've got three, and the Duho Choi Cup Swanson fight isn't one of them. Um, that fight wow. was okay. Yeah, that fight was amazing. I'm not going to lie. That fight was amazing, but I've seen three better. Um, I would say Nate Diaz Conor McGregor two at UFC 202 was everything a main event fight should be. If you were going to sit someone down and say watch mixed martial arts at the highest level being contested by two guys who are absolutely at the top of their game in an environment that just shows the sport at its best. Diaz McGregor at the T-Mobile Arena, um, the rematch, that was that was absolutely brilliant. I know, I think Dana White said it was like the Hagler Hearns of, uh, of, of mixed martial arts. I don't know if it was quite up to that standard, but it wasn't far off. It was an incredible match. That That's the one I eventually gave my honourable mention to, but I need to mention two more. Uh, Mike Perry versus Danny Roberts is a fight that probably won't get mentioned that much. That fight was incredible um, in Manchester. Um, you know, it's not perhaps the most fashionable fight to, to sort of pick out. Um, you know, two guys who are sort of still in sort of prospect stage of their careers. Um, those two laid it on the line, and, and uh, it was it was a real clash of striking styles. You had uh, the sort of the, the slicker style of, of Danny Roberts versus the the more powerful, heavy-handed um, approach of Mike Perry, and it was an incredible fight. Um, I remember we were watching that one from Octagon side, and, and you know we could almost feel those shots going in as, as as they were landing on each other. It was an amazing fight. Both guys came out of that with immense credit, and the other one I wanted to mention. Undercard fighters don't always get the same shine, you know. They're they're they're, they're not the biggest names. Uh, they don't get the biggest pay packets, and they don't get the uh, the biggest viewing audience. And the first fight of the night at UFC 199 was one of the most bonkers matchups I've ever seen in my life. Polo Reyes versus Dong Young Kim um, was the first fight of the night at UFC 199 at the Forum, and that fight had. Everything except for head movements, Andu. It had if, if those. If, <laughs> it was. It was. It was just ridiculous. And every when you go to a UFC event and you're there covering it from Octagon side, what you find is because different people have different uh, different responsibilities when they get there. So the media who turn up at cage side, they tend to arrive in dribs and drabs as the prelims are starting. And there are some sort of hardy souls who are always there from the very beginning, our good friend John Morgan being one of them. Um, but there are others who sort of come in a bit later on. Some only turn up for the main card and all the rest of it. Anybody who turned up after that fight missed out on an absolute barn burner. Polo Reyes versus Dong Hyun Kim. Polo Reyes won it by third round knockout. Um, and uh, if you've got UFC fight pass, go back, watch the fight. Just, Just... 
you know, be good to yourself. Go back, watch the fight. Watch Lawler Condit, then watch Polo Reyes versus Dong Hyun Kim. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Both absolutely batshit crazy uh, mixed martial arts fights. And uh, it just shows that big names don't necessarily uh, matter when it comes to fights. It's about good matchmaking. And uh, the UFC made a cracker of a match there. Polo Reyes, Dong Hyun Kim. That's my, that's my wild card. Uh, really appreciate you bringing up Danny Roberts versus Mike Perry, Simon, because you and me were both cage side for that one. And uh, the, the heart and grit and determination that Danny Roberts showed just to survive, especially in those closing moments um, before the ref waved it off, was just uh, incredible, incredible to see a human being um, just try and survive uh, in that kind of onslaught. So fantastic shout there. Right. So now we're going to move on to the event of the year. Uh, and I think it's your turn. So over to you, Simon. Uh, you can go first. What is your event of 2016 this was such a tough one this was such a tough one and even when i was putting together my notes for the show because believe it or not i do put notes together occasionally for the show i know it doesn't sound like it most of the time but um i've gone back and forth on this back and forth i think i think i'm gonna have to go with ufc 199 i think ufc 199 all in just had a bit of everything. Let me explain why. Marco Polo Reyes versus Don Kyung Kim. I've just waxed lyrical about that fight. That was the first fight of the night. We had a bizarre draw. Kevin Casey and Elvis Metapchit. And then the, everything just seemed to escalate once we hit the TV portion of the card. Um, Alex Caceres and Cole Miller went to a decision. Then all hell broke loose. Jessica Andrade destroys Jessica Penne. Benel Dariush knocks out James Vick in ridiculous fashion. Brian Ortega knocks out Clay Guida with a flying knee. Then we're into the main card. We're all, we're all hyped up to the to the eyeballs as we go into the main card. Dustin Poirier takes on Bobby Green. Bobby Green stands in front of Poirier and goads him. So Poirier knocks him out clean. Dan Henderson... Uh, does to Hector Lombard what really you should get thrown in prison for. I don't I don't really it was one of the single most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. Uh boxing, kickboxing, mixed martial arts. That knockout of Hector Lombard by Dan Henderson was just off the charts ridiculous. Then we had Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas, amazing back and forth fight with one of the most iconic moments of the entire year where in the last 10 seconds, Holloway looks at Lamas, fixes him with a stare, points to the ground and says, let's bang. And then they just plant their feet and go for it. That in itself would make this event event of the year. But then we had Dominic Cruz's masterclass against Uriah Faber to make, uh, to retain his UFC Bantamweight Championship. And then the cherry on top of the icing, on top of a very, very large, spectacular, delicious cake at the Forum in LA. Britain's own Michael DeCount Bisbing strolls in off a movie set. Uh, two weeks, two months, two years, two minutes. He didn't care. Straight in there. Wallop. Three minutes, 36 seconds. Knocks out Luke Rockhold. Britain has a UFC world champion. UFC 199 is my event of the year. Good shout. And, and I guess I'll probably get into this when we kind of talk about our honourable mentions. Uh, but this was a very, very tough category. Uh, I think a lot of these categories are quite tough uh, to mull over when looking back at 2016. And I kind of guess it goes back to what we were saying at the start of the show. It was just a fantastic year all round. 
I have ended up going with UFC 196. Now, top to bottom, it didn't produce, you know, uh, a classic five-star fight after fight after fight. But sometimes I don't think an event needs to. That event got turned on its head very dramatically in the short space of just a few weeks. It was supposed to be Conor McGregor versus Rafael de Sanos for the lightweight championship. RDA had to pull out due to injury. In steps, Nate Diaz straight off a yacht or a boat, knocking back some tequila with his buddy, his scrap pack, scrap pack rather, uh, member Gilbert Melendez. And I remember being in Orlando, Florida. No, actually, uh, I was in Orlando, Florida, and I was connecting to a flight to Miami uh, before coming home to London. And I remember being at the terminal, and the, the UFC had just very, very quickly put together a makeshift press conference in one of their gyms somewhere in uh, the, I think it was the LA area or, or somewhere in California anyway. And it was, it was so bare bones, but that press conference between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz just got everyone so excited. And to the point where I was watching it, I was streaming it using the airport Wi-Fi, really willing uh, to, to skip my flight and just, maybe try and blag it and get on the next flight back home because i didn't want to miss this press conference i was watching it live on my phone it was gripping to say the least diaz and mcgregor just throwing bars at each other it was just fantastic stuff and it was all raw and it was all natural the fact that this fight came together so quickly just on 11 days notice and the fact that it ended up becoming the biggest selling pay-per-view in ufc history um and then on top of that, I was actually at the event. Now, I was at the event from a quite a quite unique perspective. And I've done this a few times in the past where um, I, I worked the media week uh, with MMA Junkie, but I didn't want to work the fight night. So I got myself a ticket. Uh, and it's interesting because the, because the fight came around on, on such a quick uh, turnaround, the actual ticket um, it still has Conor McGregor versus RDA on it which might be worth some money in the future. Actually, i tell you why my ticket might be worth some money down the future, because I was actually in Section 209, uh, which is uh, quite ironic. Um, and then to see, not just before the main, before the main event, to see Holly Holm uh, and Misha Tate go through their 25 minutes before Misha Tate dramatically got that rear naked choke finish, you know, just to see her story come full circle, finally get that UFC championship, given the journey she's been on. She's 100% been a pioneer of women's MMA. It was a fantastic moment for her and also surprising and shocking given how just a few months earlier, Holly Homer shocked the world by knocking out Ronda Rousey. And then to follow that up with at the time, the invincible Conor McGregor, where Mystic Mac had predicted everything would go the way would go his way, and for him to get tapped out by Nate Diaz in the second round, um, the place went absolutely bananas. And, and and again, maybe it was because I was in the arena that night, and it was just a, a really weird feeling where you had you know the Irish were representing, but you had the the California fans you know, you know representing uh, the Diaz brothers and Nate Diaz himself and. And it was a and it was a star making performance for Nate Diaz. It was definitely his coming out party. He became a bona fide draw and star uh, from that scenario. So you don't always need um, a, a 10, 11, 12 
fight card where every single uh, fight is uh, uh, finishes in a, in, in a finish or a submission or a knockout. Uh, every fight is a war. Sometimes it could just be the story uh, behind the event, uh, the emotions on the night, and just and just the co-main event and the main event delivering, and then some. Uh, so for me. UFC 196 was my uh, event of the year, uh, and, and I'll quickly just hit my honorable mentions. UFC 199, uh, right up there, uh, Simon, for all the reasons you mentioned. It was a surreal experience. You were actually at the event. I was at home watching it. Fantastic fights all throughout the card, but then there were obviously so many other things that were going on online with fight announcements and obviously things that happened uh, with some of the guys over at MMAfighting.com. It was a surreal, bizarre event-filled night of just news back to back to back to back to back which make, made that event and made that night so memorable um, and apart from that I have to obviously give a nod to UFC 205 it was fantastic to be there with you and the, the rest and for me what made that event so memorable uh, aside from obviously McGregor becoming the, the two-weight champion and being in Madison Square Garden and uh, being a fan of that arena for so many years through my passion and love for pro wrestling it was great to be an event uh, with a lot of the European crew uh, who have been, you know, on the grind and do, doing their rounds uh, for so many years, and it was great to be there with yourself and Abby and some of the others. Um, so that was that. That would always be a memorable uh, a trip, and of course a, a historic moment in our sport uh, with McGregor doing what he did in MSG. So those are those are my honourable mentions, Simon. Uh, take it away with your honourable mentions. Yeah, and I said I, I really struggled to decide what my event of the year would be, and I'd obviously. Uh, I eventually settled on UFC 199. The reason why I struggled so much was because the other one that really stood out to me was UFC 202. And there's a slightly different story with UFC 202. First of all, the fight card was insane. There were 12 fights on that card, and nine of them were finished inside the distance. Uh, we had a run of five finishes in a row uh, as we went from the prelims all the way up to the co-main event. Uh, four, four TKOs in a row, and then a huge knockout from Anthony Rumble Johnson on Glover Teixeira. Uh, we saw Donald Cerrone dismantle Rick Story. Mike Perry knocked out Hyungyu Lim. That was his UFC debut. Uh, Tim Means uh, does what Tim Means does, just goes in there and gets nasty with his opponent, and he did that with Sabah Hamasi. Uh, and Cody Garbrandt booked himself a title shot uh, by beating Takeo Mizugaki at the top of the prelim card. But it wasn't just about that fight card on the night, the actual whole event, um, and this is why I struggled whether you know whether or not to pick this one because I remember turned up in Las Vegas and this is a Conor McGregor fight week and whenever Conor McGregor fight week uh, kicks in, all hell breaks loose and um, we turned up for the press the pre-fight press conference and there was a noticeable absence of any buzz. It was really bizarre and we were all talking about it. We we're all like, this is really weird. Normally, Conor McGregor fight week. The place is jumping, and it just feels really strange. It's just everything seemed really muted, and so oh, what well, you know, what there's something not quite right here, and we couldn't quite put a finger on it, but it, everything just felt really subdued. And we were talking about it literally as they were getting ready to start the press conference. Then the press conference happens. It was in the David Copperfield Theatre in the MGM Grand, and uh, all hell broke loose. Um, Diaz walked out the press conference, uh, chucked up a few obscenities, then started chucking bottles. A cup of cappuccino was thrown at one point. A journalist had to grab his laptop to stop Jake Shields from throwing that. Um, then uh, McGregor started throwing cans of Monster Energy. It all went mad. Then the open workouts went even more crazy. 
McGregor did his big mic drop. Um, and uh, it all just, it ramped up, it ramped up. The weigh-ins were just insane. Uh, it was in a big thing, a big building called the Marquee Ballroom. It was like an aircraft hangar. And uh, the only security in the room were little old ladies. And honestly, I've been to some football matches in the past where there's been some crowd trouble. And you can sense the, the sort of simmering tension in the air when you go into those sorts of environments. It felt like that. And I was genuinely concerned that there was going to be uh, some, some tensions boiling over. So the immense credit of everybody there, um, everyone was impeccably behaved. There was no trouble, certainly that I, I'm aware of or, 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 or that I saw. Um, everything was 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 uh, generally pretty good natured, and uh, the atmosphere was just outstanding. And then the fight night itself, and uh, we had that remarkable performance uh, by Conor McGregor uh, as he got revenge over Nate Diaz. So that was really really close to being my event of the year. And as I'm describing it, I'm beginning to wonder whether it should have been. But I'm sticking with UFC 199. And USC 202 is my honourable mention, but it's not 1A and 1B. It was that close. Brilliant. And now we head into the final category of the inaugural Britpack uh, yearly awards. Uh, maybe next year we'll double the amount of categories, but we're going to keep it short and sweet. Like I said, the final category is the Britpack British Fighter of the Year. This one was very, very simple for me. I'm not going to call Michael Bisping uh, the male fighter of the year uh, without also giving him uh, the nod for British fighter of the year. Um, like we mentioned in, in numerous times now over the show, uh, the very first uh, British champion uh, in the UFC um, to do it at his age. Absolutely phenomenal. Very, very simple, short and sweet. Michael Bisping, British fighter of the year. Over to you, Sai. You can't not give that award to Michael Bisbing. You know, we've had a lot of British fighters in the UFC, people who've made their debuts, people who've, you know, there's, there's, there's so many names where, you know, you can chuck in, not going to win fighter of the year, but it's been, it's, you know, people have had their just desserts and been given the chance in the UFC. It was great to see Jimmy Warhead get his shot in the UFC, uh, in Hamburg. It didn't go his way on the night. Hopefully we'll see him again, but that's a guy who really deserved to get his shot, and he finally did. Mark Diacasey, I think, has exploded onto the scene. Um, he's had an amazing year, and I think he's up there with... He's not quite up there with Bisping, but he's just a gnats below. Uh, Mark Diacasey had two huge knockout wins uh, for Bama in 2016, um, and uh, then he earned himself um, his shot in the UFC, uh, fought Lucas Sajewski, and then uh, he obviously followed that up with a, with a very, very hard-earned win over Frankie Perez. You've got to give a mention uh, to Paddy Pimblett at Cage Warriors. Um, he's exploded onto the scene, uh, picked up a world championship belt with them. The sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, there are guys, you know, sort of beyond Bisbing who've had big years uh, from, from sort of the British fighting stable. But I think, you know, the man at the very top, uh, Michael DeCount Bisbing. Also, I just want to give a quick mention uh, to... Um, to uh, Jimmy Manoa, who uh, he's he's uh, he picked up that big knockout win that I think those who've been following his career for any length of time have known he's had in in the locker, and he's just been unfortunate he hasn't been able to produce it in the octagon. Um, but boy, when he when he uh, when he put over say Pro away, um, the world woke up and took notice. That was pretty special. Um, so yeah, a lot of British guys have done some great stuff, uh, both at UFC level and. And at European level, but yeah, Michael Bisbing gets British Fighter of the Year, no, no question about it. He's the first British world champion, and uh, deservedly so. 
Yeah, uh, same reasons for honourable mentions. Jimmy Manuel, Mark Diakese. Uh, for Diakese making your UFC debut, there's so much pressure involved. Uh, uh, but, you know, he got through got through that. Uh, and he's off and running now. He's doing well. Uh, he's two for two in the UFC. Uh, and you can't ask for more than that uh, within the first 12 months um, of your UFC career. And, and for Manuel, yep, uh, I remember a few years back, uh, when he suffered that uh, defeat to Gustafsson, and then obviously he suffered that uh, knockout um, loss to Anthony John- uh, uh, Johnson. You know, some some might question, you know, where he could go from there, but he came back uh, in in true, you know, with some true British grit, um, and he uh, he had a great great night in Manchester, like you mentioned, Simon, uh, and I think he can now tick on from there. Now uh, he's broken into the top five. Um, and, and I think he's got some big fights uh, ahead of him. Obviously, uh, the one with Corey Anderson uh, in London, uh, which was uh, announced and confirmed uh, this week, uh, will be the first one. And I, and I think uh, having that hometown advantage, uh, again, g- getting getting a big win over Corey Anderson, then that's it. I think he could just be after that one one fight away from, from title contention. Um, and that's it, Sai. That was our very first... Uh, Britpack uh, yearly awards. Uh, you agree? You disagree? Let us know about it. Um, whilst we've been uh, recording the show, I've just been tweeting out um, uh, our results via the Britpack MMA, which is our podcast uh, Twitter handle. Um, so please, if you like them, if you, if you agree, uh, please do give it a like, give it a share, retweet it, and all that good stuff. Uh, if you disagree, let us know about it. You know, um, But that now... Uh, means we can move on, Simon, uh, to uh, a bit of a breakdown of the very first UFC event of 2017, which will see Yair Rodriguez take on BJ Penn in the main event. Yeah, it's the first event of 2017. Um, it's kind of easing us in, if we're honest. It's not the most stellar fight card, but as we know, you can't judge uh, how good this event is going to be just by looking at the names on a sheet of paper. Uh, it might not have uh, top to bottom star power like uh, some of the uh, some of the big pay per views we were, were very, you know we were very fortunate to to have towards the back end of last year. But uh, when you've got exciting fighters like Yair Rodriguez, Joe Lozon, uh, Ben Saunders, and Sergio Pettis on this card, then you're going to expect something half decent when you tune in uh, on Sunday night. Because that's one thing to mention: this is a Sunday night fight card, um, so. Uh, which is a bit of a pain in the backside for all us British uh, fans who have to get up for work on Monday morning. Obviously, I don't have to worry about that at the moment. So, uh, but, <laughs> but for, for, for all the rest of you lucky bastards who've still got a job, then that's going to be hard for you. Um, I, on the other hand, will have a lion. So, but, but yeah, so it's uh, Sunday night, which makes things a little bit tricky. Uh, Yaya Rodriguez versus BJ Penn. It's an interesting matchmaking this and. The more I think about this fight and the more I've heard going into this fight, the more interested I am in it. When I first heard about it, I was like, crikey, what are they doing to BJ Penn? Why are they giving him someone like Yair Rodriguez? And the more the more I go, for, for a start, BJ's working with Jason Perillo, as he has done for, 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 for quite a while. Um, and Perillo, I think, for me, he's probably my vote for coach of the year. Um I think he's had an outstanding year. What he's done with Bisbing has been nothing short of remarkable. Um, and 
But if he can get BJ Penn firing all cylinders again, I think that even eclipses what he's done with Bisbing because Penn hasn't won a fight in six years. So this is this is this is what we're looking at here. Um, he's fighting Yair Rodriguez, who he's he's got a, he's got a good record. He's got a good record. He's got that highlight reel knockout of Andre Feely. But if you take a look at it, you look at his UFC uh, career to date. It's been decisions all the way with that one exception. That Andre Feely flying head kick uh, is obviously what gets played and replayed. But he's had four fights in the UFC. Five fights in the UFC, should I say. Four of them have been by decision and two of them by split. So this is by no means a sort of a wrecking machine who's going in destroying everybody who he steps in the octagon with. So what we... It's going to be really interesting to find out just how good is Yair Rodriguez. And I was listening to him on the MMA Hour with uh, Errol Helwani, and there were a few little warning warning lights started flashing in my in front of my eyes when I was listening to some of it. He's changing a lot. He seems to be changing a lot of his uh, training camps. He seems to be bouncing from gym to gym. Um, he's not short of confidence, and he was certainly speaking very well, but... It worries me that he hasn't got a. He doesn't seem to have a settled training camp. And even when he was asked whether this training camp was going to be his long term home, he didn't commit to that either. Which that worries me. Sort of looking forward in his career, I think you need to find a stable home. You need to get people around you that you can trust and uh, who can who who can be honest with you and tell you when you're doing things wrong and tell you when you're making bad decisions and encourage you when you're making good ones and. To, to see that at this relatively young stage in his UFC career, um, and he's only 24 years of age, and he's, he's, he's sort of bouncing from, from fight camp to fight camp, that worries me a little bit. Um, he should put BJ Penn away. He should win the fight. He's talking about submitting him, which I think is is uh, just remarkable. I don't think... I don't think... I think that gives BJ Penn the best chance to win the fight, if I'm honest. BJ Penn... The one thing that he isn't lacking is his jiu-jitsu. So, um, you know, he might not have the cardio that he had. You know, he might not he might not be quite as slick with his hands. But his jiu-jitsu, I would, I would think, would probably be the thing that, that sticks with him the most. He's been doing that for the longest. Um, and uh, to start talking about taking him down and subbing him, um, just there's a few little warning signs there. And I'm, in, I'm really looking forward to watching this one. But... Um, it should be a win for Alex Caceres, but I don't know if it's as clear cut as a lot of people think it might be. So it's a fascinating one, mate, and I'm I'm really not. I'm, it's 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 going to be really interesting to see just how good Yair looks and just where he goes with his career because there were just a few little warning signs in that interview. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. The MMA hour with uh, with Ero Helwani. Very interesting interview. As I say, he speaks well, talking a bit of smack and all this stuff. But if you actually strip all of that away and listen to what he's saying, it's just a few little worrying signs that I would just be keeping an eye on, not just in this fight, but in future ones for Yair Rodriguez. And that's our main event. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I heard that interview. And actually, John Morgan had a great interview with Yair Rodriguez on The Roadshow um, last week, um, which was uh, very quite, you know, quite telling in terms of where his mindset in. Let's talk about BJ Penn. Simon, seven years Seven years since his last win in the octagon, and that was against Matt Hughes at UFC 123. 
Then he fought John Fitch to a draw at UFC 127 and then started uh, his current losing streak. He lost to Nick Diaz at UFC 137. Actually, a fight I was actually uh, at in Las Vegas. Uh, well, going back to October 2011. That was quite some time away. Um, then he lost to Rory McDonald, again by decision, uh, at, a, at a Fox card uh, in December of 2012. Then he lost to Frankie Edgar, um, which uh, eventually became uh, his retirement fight at the time. Uh, back in July of 2014, and now he's going to fight Yair Rodriguez. I think when he was making a comeback and they had pitched Dennis Eva, I was on board for that. I thought, right, okay, this is if, if BJ Penn is serious about making a comeback, this is the best way of building him up in terms of some you know really good matchmaking. Um, and obviously now we're stuck with uh, Yair Rodriguez, and I think it's going to be a very bad night for BJ Penn. Um, I think it's going to be a loss, first, first and foremost. But I think Yair Rodriguez is going to put him away early. I think he's going to really put it on BJ Penn. He's got he's got a bit of a change of attitude, a change of personality. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I, I, I just feel like there's a little bit more, uh, the aggression is just turning it up a little bit. It's, it's going from a 7-8 to a, maybe, you know, to a 10 or 11 or a 12. And, and I think he's going to use this opportunity to, to make a... a to rubber stamp uh, his position uh, uh, in the UFC. I mean, I think for him, he shouldn't even be fighting somebody uh, like BJ Penn. It's great in terms of getting exposure. He's a marquee name and all that good stuff. Uh, but I think just from his own personal standards, he should be fighting somebody you know ranked in the top 10. Um, I think it's going to be a really bad night for, for BJ Penn, Simon. I don't think he's going to win uh, wherever the fight goes. Um, I think... Yair Rodriguez is going to be much more faster, technical, and powerful. Um, he, he's in a tower over Penn. Um, and, I, and I say that with a little bit of hope for BJ Penn in a way, because I saw the countdown show yesterday, actually, and he's just got this ridiculous knack for just getting you a little bit excited. You know, there's, there's, you know, the, the motivated BJ Penn, and I'm saying that whilst producing air quotes with my fingers right now. Um, the motivated BJ Penn, he's that motivation might be at 20, 25, 30 percent looking at the countdown show, but he's still saying all the right things to get you to that, that little bit excited to tune in uh, for his fight. Um, so he's always been a fantastic salesman. He knows how to get himself over with the fans. Um, I will be tuning in uh, on Sunday night. Uh, I'm going to try and get a nap in if I can, because who wants to wait, you know, stay up till four, five, six in the morning on a Sunday night? Jesus Christ! Um, but but looking at that particular fight, uh, this has got Yai Rodriguez, or how I, I've, I've kind of termed the the phase. Uh, Year Force One will land in Phoenix, and uh, and I think uh, Year Force One will land all over BJ Penn. Uh, and demolish him. That's my prediction for the fight. I'm. If I need to do a pick for MMA Junkie this week, and I, I'm going to go. I think. I think I'm going to go with Yaya Rodriguez. I think that's the common sense pick. But I do. I do think that he's. I. I do think that this is this is a closer fight than people are giving it credit for. I really do. The big the big question here is what shape is BJ Penn going to arrive in? If BJ Penn arrives in shape, Yair Rodriguez has got a fight on his hands. You take a look. 
yes, BJ hasn't, you know, BJ's last last three fights all ended in defeat. But who are they against? He looked terrible against Frankie Edgar. Let's make no bones about this. Frankie Edgar lit him up like a Christmas tree uh, for 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 almost three full rounds, uh, eventually stopping him. Um, but that was his first ever fight at featherweight. So we have to factor that in a little bit. And uh, we've seen many fighters who've had a tough weight cut and go out there and not perform um, on their first their first go round at a lower weight class. So there's that. You look at he fought Rory McDonald, who is one of the best 170 pound fighters in the world, and Rory McDonald couldn't finish him. It went to a decision. He fought Nick Diaz, one of the best 170 pound fighters in the world, and it was a fight of the night, and Nick Diaz couldn't finish him. Now. The pat, you know, the passage of time has gone, has gone, uh, gone along since that DS fight. That was back in 2011. So it really is a case of how how good is uh, how good is BJ Penn going to look? Um, I don't know if they're doing open workouts in Phoenix. Um, if they are, that's going to make for fascinating watching. Just to see how he looks, I want to see how he looks at the early weigh-ins. I want to see how he looks on the scale. Um, because it's, it's, he's, he's a, a, an elite level fighter. Now, a lot, you know, the game may have evolved past him much like the game has evolved past Ronda Rousey. And we saw that in stark, stark fashion at UFC 207 just a week or so ago. But if Yaya Rodriguez goes in there slightly undercooked, slightly overconfident, and BJ goes in there fired up in shape, BJ Penn could potentially upset the apple cart here. Um, as I say, the common sense pick is Yaya Rodriguez. And if he fights to his potential and he does the business, he should do a job on him. But all I'm saying is, devil's advocate and all the rest of it, BJ, I think you still got to respect BJ Penn. You can't not respect a guy um, who's been in there with, with the who's who of the sport and has won two world championships. If he comes back in shape, and you can bet Jason Prillo will have him in some sort of shape, then uh, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I think I think we could have a fight on our hands. I really do. I really do. I hope we do. I'm just not as optimistic as you are, my friend. I'm a born optimist. Uh, <laughs> well, to be honest with you, so am I. It doesn't take much to uh, to make me turn into a pessimist, but I'm just, I'm, I guess, I'm more of a realist here, just given. <laughs> The, the facts and the evidence presented you know before me your honor um as we head into uh, this you know return uh, of the prodigy bj penn at 38 years of age god bless him um well that's that, that's the main event uh, for this weekend's card and uh, we're not going to you know start going down the entire fight card because uh, uh, i guess the the show's kind of dragging on a little bit but we are going to finish the show the show simon uh, with a couple of questions uh, and again, once again, really appreciate you guys uh, getting at, you know, you know, proactive and starting to tweet us actually during the week, which is great because it means I can start to compile the questions for this segment of the show uh, throughout the week. Um, the first one uh, comes from Will Martin. He says, hashtag UFC London is fast approaching. If you could pick the main event, which fight would you make? Over to you, Simon. Oh, blimey. Um, I haven't seen these questions. Um if I could make a fight, blimey, main event fight, main event fight. Okay, 
if we're if 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 we're to think that Michael Bisbing isn't going to fight in London because he's a world champion and he's going to be on pay per view points these days, then what we need is what we need is a is a is is, is a good fight. We need a good fight. We need a fight between two people who perhaps don't get on that well, so make it a bit more sellable. You want to fight between two names who people are going to know. And I would go for a heavyweight fight. I would go, whether this would be a main or a co-main, I think it would just be a good fight. Ben Rothwell and Travis Brown, I like the look of that. I like the look of that. I think they match up well. Um, I think uh, Ben Rothwell has been chirping at Travis Brown on, on social media recently. Um, I think that would be a good fight. The British and Irish fans love Big Ben Rothwell as well. I think I think that would be a decent fight. Maybe a main event fight, maybe a co-main event fight. I don't know, but there is one fight I do want on that card. Um, I want Brad Pickett versus Neil Siri on that card, please. That's 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 I you know I don't care whatever else is happening anywhere else. Um, I know Neil Siri is supposed to be fighting McCall again. I want Brad Pickett and Neil Siri in in London. Um, have one more, one more, Mister Siri. Get in there with Brad again, and let's uh, let's bring the curtain down on both of your careers in London. I think that would be a very poetic way to go out. But yeah, that's I th- a good shout. No, go yeah. on. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, that's. I don't know whether whether you do Rothwell versus Brown as a main. Um, you, I think you could do if you stack the main card enough. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's one I wouldn't mind seeing. Just, just straight off the top of my head, because I haven't seen these questions, so I like to go in completely blind with the questions. So, but uh, yeah, Pickett versus Siri, I want to see that irrespective. Well, for the, for the main event, I think if obviously we can't get Bisping because he's a champion, and obviously he'll be doing pay per view duties uh, stateside. I think what you could do is you could have uh, two top middleweight contenders that are perhaps vying for Bisping's championship. Uh, or perhaps have some history with Bisping, because then what you could potentially do is you could still have Bisping fly over and and help out with some of the fight week promotion, weighing in and adding some commentary and bits and pieces. So I suppose the guys of Michael Bisping, the count, if you will, is still lurking over the arena and over the proceedings. Um, so I'd like to perhaps see uh, a Luke Rockhold uh, and or uh, a Chris Weidman uh, depending who's the healthier and uh, the fitter out of the two for that uh, particular date in March, take on Gegard Mousasi. Uh, I think that will uh, perhaps set up um, a nice uh, title contender uh, down the road. Uh, Jacare Souza now has his hands full. He's been booked in a fight. So so for me, I'd like to see uh, Weidman Rockhold take on um, Gegard Mousasi. Not in a two-in-one handicap match, um, <laughs> but... Uh, but one of the two, one of the two at least. So that'll be my pick. Whether we get it uh, will be interesting, especially because with London, they've really made a lot of uh, uh, strides and effort with not just the UK cards, but the London cards specifically. Last year, having Bisping and Anderson Silva was just absolutely top draw stuff uh, in terms of selling it out, setting a new uh, attendance and gate record for the UFC at the O2 Arena. Um, so they're going to have to, they're going to have to put in some hard work. Uh, to come up with a really, really sellable uh, main event with some marquee fighters. Um, and you know what? I think we might just be days away uh, from finding out what that main event might be. Uh, so who knows? Maybe on next week's show, or maybe at least in the next couple of weeks, we'll be uh, dis- 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 dissecting and deciding 
and uh, you know mulling over uh, what we think over the UFC London main event. Um, so I've got a question come come in from Stephen Murray, and he says, "What card and fight are you looking forward to most this year so far?" So Simon, over to you for that one. We haven't got many books, have we? At this point, this is the thing. If you look yeah. at, seriously, you take a look at the you know the event. We've got a lot of names on on the on the docket, as they like to say in America. We've got you know we've got some events lined up. Um, there aren't there aren't that uh, Tyron Woodley versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson leaps out at me at this point. They only made the fight yesterday, um, and uh, you know we were both there to watch that first fight. Amazing, amazing performance from Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who looked dead in the water against against Tyron Woodley, and somehow came back. He got pretty much knocked out, uh, and Woodley committed a, a crucial error in that fight. Rather than going for the TKO finish, he then looked to lock up a guillotine choke, and Thompson showed incredible resilience to not only survive the choke, but also recompose himself and regain his regain his senses and then come back and win win the final round in order to uh, to take it to the scorecards and it was obviously eventually after a bit of a, a bit of confusion it was ruled a draw I know Woodley's been talking about fighting pretty much everybody under the sun uh, in the last co- in the last few weeks you know he 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 shaking hands on a fight with Michael Bisbing he calling out uh, GSP Nick Diaz I think he might even have asked for Nate Diaz at one point. Conor McGregor was a pos- well was was sort of floated. There's there's all these potential fights for him. The fight that needed to happen. Oh, Damian Maya is the, is the most deserving next guy in line. But this needs to be resolved. I think. I think I know. Well, I know there are some people out there who say um, he's had his shot and he didn't win. Wonderboy had his shot and he didn't win. I think you, you know when it gets to a world title fight, you need a. I think you need a definitive result either way. You can't walk away from a draw. This is why I love glory kickboxing. If you get a draw, they give you another round and decide who wins. I'd love to see that in world championship fights in the UFC. That would, you know, if I could make a rule change, that would be one of them. It would be if it's a, if if the scorecards are even at the end of a at the end of a world title fight, we go for one more round. Sudden victory. Let's do it. Um, and. Uh, I, you know, I think I think that that, that would have been perfect in, uh, in in that particular fight at UFC 205. We're going to get rounds six, seven, maybe eight, maybe nine. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a fantastic matchup again. Um, Thompson thinks he's he can tweak his game to win. Woodley certainly thinks he can win that fight. That's the one that stands out to me. So that's UFC 209, March the fourth at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. That card. Is uh, is beginning is beginning to uh, to take shape. We've got a few few decent fights being announced for that. Um, Overeem versus Hunt, I believe, has been signed for that one as well. Uh, Britain's Mark Godbeer has got Todd Duffy on that card. Merced Bektik taking on Darren Elkins. But yeah, Woodley versus Thompson is my pick definitely. Uh, yeah, I agree. In terms of the event, uh, two hundred nine is the only one um, that is head and shoulders above anything else that the UFC has currently got on the schedule over the next couple of months. Uh, in terms of the fight I'm looking forward to now, technically, it's not official official in terms of the UFC haven't announced it, but I have got a feeling that this time next week, Simon, you and me may be talking about the saga 
finally coming to an end and about agreement being signed and the UFC making it all official. Even though it's technically not there just yet, I am going to say that Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov are going to get it on for an interim lightweight championship at 209. Uh, looking at their social media, uh, they've both pretty much announced that they've uh, they've you know signed and they've, they've done uh, all of the bits and pieces and they're kind of in the training camp now. Um, so I guess the UFC are probably just holding on to that bit of news so they can drop it in some big PR uh, press release uh, or perhaps even drop it in uh, during the broadcast from this Sunday's uh, Phoenix Fight Night card. Um, when you've got guys who have been on such amazing win streaks, I think it's um, 8-0 versus, obviously versus an undefeated uh, Nurmagomedov, but I think a nine, I think his win streak's you know up there as well. 24. Um, but specifically in the UFC, I think he's got about eight between 8 and 10 uh, fights in the UFC now. Uh, Tony Ferguson coming through the Ultimate Fighter system, um, like many, like many other fighters, have come through that uh, tough show uh, to go on to become champions and to go on to become massive stars in the UFC. Uh, uh, this is such it's 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 a fighters fight. It's it's a, it's a hardcore uh, fan community's fight. Uh, we've been following their careers for so long, and uh, and it looks like and it appears things are finally coming to a head. So for me, Tony Ferguson, Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, unofficially official, uh, but that is going to be my fight to look forward to most in Q1 of this year. And to wrap things up, one final question, and it's again coming in from Stephen Murray. Do you think the new judges' uh, scoring criteria will lead to more or less controversial decisions? It does make it interesting, in my opinion. So for those of you who don't know, we are in a new era now. Um, I won't bore you with all the details, but um, there is a new judging criteria that will hopefully, um, with some of the new language implemented, um, allow there to be more 10-8 rounds in MMA. Uh, now, will it lead and cause more confusion? I'm not sure. Maybe, perhaps, but I think we'll... I think we might just get the same amount of controversial decisions as we've ever had. Um, with uh, I, I don't think it, it doesn't matter what kind of score, scoring criteria you implement. Um, uh, you could just you know put the the judging criteria and the scoring on its head and give it a hundred points or a fifty points. So I think when it comes to uh, human error, that's always at play. Uh, how you watch, and I, I, I think me and Simon, you, you, we've spoken about this before. When we sat at press row, uh, we're getting one view, whereas when we're watching it on TV, we're getting the best view. There could be action on the ground on the opposite end of the octagon, and because of where we might be sitting, that might skew some of what we're able to see, uh, especially when it comes to some of the grappling on the ground and some of the, the jiu-jitsu that takes place there, where we can't really see all the action. Now, we might need to tilt our heads up at the screen uh, up just to kind of you know make sure we're trying to you know follow up with all of the action there um but i don't think we'll see any more i just think we'll have, i always think when when human error is involved there will always be controversial decisions and actually that's part of what makes sport so interesting and so controversial at times and so headline grabbing um but what do you think si with this new judging criteria do you think we'll, we'll start to get more uh, that's the question more controversial decisions or will it just stay the same I think we'll get more. I think we'll get more okay. because 
The big issue here isn't the changes to the criteria. The issue is the 10-point must system because it just it's just a really it's kind of been forced to fit the sport. It was it was invented for boxing. Um, boxing is contested over shorter rounds and more of them. So what it does is it gives you a granular way of scoring a fight. So, you know, if it's a 10-round fight or an 8-round fight, then you've got a sample of scores where, that, that tell the story of the fight. In mixed martial arts, you have longer rounds, but less of them. And therefore, the, the scoring... Uh, opportunity, if you like, in terms of how the amount of time is... I'm, I'm explaining this terribly badly. A 25-minute boxing match will have more scoring applied to it than a 25-minute mixed martial arts bout because there are more breaks in, in the fight and the, it's scored at a more regular interval or, or more frequent intervals than it is in, in mixed martial arts. And that is the problem. Not the fact that we've only got three rounds it's the fact that the 10 point must system is being applied that way so there are only three possible ways or there's, there's only three opportunities for a judge to assess what's going on at the end of round one at the end of round two at the end of round three um and what that means is there's only three decisions for the judge to make and you've got to tell the story of 15 minutes of action using three uh three sets of numbers and because of that you could have a 10-8 round in the middle. and But if you start off with a 10-8 round, you've pretty much won the fight unless you completely blow it. So, you know, you, you, you know you're know you in great position. And this is, this is why point deductions are such a controversial topic as well. Because if someone has a point deduction, it can completely kill a fight. Because a fight can be going one way. It can be a competitive fight, but one guy clearly winning. And then you can have a point taken for something innocuous... And then all of a sudden you've got this issue where you could have a draw or he's lost a split decision. And that for me is the issue. So if you're in a position where more 10-8 rounds are going to be awarded, I think it skews it even more. And all it will do is highlight the imperfect nature of the 10-point must system in mixed martial arts. I think over the longer fights, I think it, it should help. Over the five-round fight, perhaps it should, you know, it, it might help a bit more. But in the three-round fights, and that's obviously the bulk of the, the fights that we get, um, I think it it could it could cause more issues than uh, than uh, than it solves. But I understand why they're doing it because they want people to, you know, they want people to try and win fights by 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 stoppage. They don't want people looking to looking to sort of eke out decisions. So so uh, I understand why they've why they've tweaked the rules that way. But yeah, I think, and also you've got the application of the scoring as well. You know, the the judges are going to have to relearn how to score fights, uh, and they're going to have to apply it. You know, they're, they're so used to applying the uh, the scoring criteria that they've been using, and we've been getting controversial decisions. So um, it'd be interesting. I'm going to have to have a chat with uh, Ben Cartledge, who's one of one of the best judges from this side of the pond. He does UFC events, he does Cage Warriors events, Bama events. Um, events all around the world. He's a, he's a he's an excellent judge. Um, I'll have to bend his ear the next time I'm at an event just to see how how he's finding it because um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting change for the judges themselves. They're going to have to effectively, uh, you know, they're, they're basically learning learning the criteria from scratch again. So it's going to be interesting, and I'm sure we're going to get some some weird looking scorecards as we do anyway. Well, time will certainly tell. 
but that wraps it up, Simon. That's all the questions, and that is the end of the show for this week. Episode number 22, done and dusted, second show of the new year. Thank you, as always, for, for listening in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA. You can follow Mr. Chamakar Sandu at Sandu MMA, and you can follow yours truly at Simon Head. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Stitcher. You can subscribe on Acast, and you can get us uh, on SoundCloud as well. We will also be available on YouTube. It might take us a little bit longer to get the show up on YouTube, but we will have the show up on YouTube uh, as soon as we can. That is all we have time for on episode number 22. Thanks again for uh, for, for uh, at least tuning in. This isn't a radio station, is it? Thank you for listening to the podcast. Enjoy the fights on Sunday night. Um, set the alarm nice and early. If I were you, get sleep first and just plough through the rest of the day. That seems like the best way to do it. Sleep during the early evening. Mismatch of the day. Wake up, watch the fights, and then uh, try and survive through work on, on Monday morning. Uh, Best of luck with that, and uh, we'll speak to you next week.